We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today, my guest is Dan Keown. Dan is a medical doctor and an acupuncturist who lives in England. And he's not only deeply studied his Western medicine, as we're going to hear about here, but he's deeply studied his Chinese medicine as well, including spending time with one of the great acupuncturists of China these days, Wang Jui, in uh, Beijing, China. I've invited Daniel to the show today because I read his book called Spark in the Machine, and it's a fascinating look at Chinese medicine through some of the lenses of Western medicine and how these things connect up. It's really interesting. I'm thrilled to have Dan here with me today. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you, and um, thanks a lot for inviting me on. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, it's good to have you here. So... Well, first of all, I'm curious, you, you started out as a, a Western MD, Western doctor. How did you find your way to Chinese medicine? Yeah, um, I always set out to do Chinese medicine. It was kind of the other way around to how you'd expect. Um, I, when I was about 15, uh, I think it was about 15, my grandmother talked about China and the Chinese physicians of old and how they uh, would only get paid when you were well, which I've since found out is um, not necessarily true. But she was a crazy old lady, actually. She traveled around China well into her 80s. And this was back in the 80s, 90s, when China was a much more forbidding place than it is now. And, um, yeah, I never considered this unusual, actually. I thought everyone's grandmothers uh, went <laughs> traveling around China. <laughs> but I've since realized that she was quite exceptional. Yes. And uh, so she um, kind of sparked the interest in Chinese medicine. 
But I didn't really, I mean, it was back in the 80s, 90s, and Chinese medicine and acupuncture was akin to voodoo. And I certainly didn't feel I had the confidence to go and uh, go out on a limb and do what many of the the great people um, who have written lots of books and uh, have done basically advanced acupuncture over the last 20, 30 years in the West. So I felt like I had to go and do Western medicine and that I'd always step back into Chinese medicine and and try and um, uh, understand the two paradigms together. So I kind of set out from the beginning to, in a way, write this book. Well, I can see in a sense how this book would have come about and I can see how that the path you've traveled has put you in a very unique position to take these two paradigms and use them to mutually inform one another. So, you know, generally speaking, when looking at ancient Chinese uh, physiology and modern Western physiology, we see some similarities and we see some real differences. And, And some of this stuff just apparently, from a Western point of view, makes no sense at all. So... You've gone at it through looking at the process of embryological development and using that sort of as a lens to look at Chinese medicine physiology. What took you to combining those particular perspectives? Well, it was when I was studying with uh, Wang Juyi in China, and he was really clear about where acupuncture acted it was in the spaces of the body and as soon as he said that i just thought that makes perfect sense because this is why the channels have have always been missed by uh, western anatomists because they're the spaces so they're using the spaces to look at the body and then they're like a a man with looking for spectacles when they're on his face they're they're using the very channels to look for the channels and that's why they can't see them and then i I I started looking a bit more into this and I just found this article by Dr. Charles Shang and um, from Harvard University at the time. And it was all about the how acupuncture's effects um, and the power of them could be understood if you went back into the embryological growth theory of the growth control theory. And that made so much sense as well. Because embryology is is generally um, very poorly understood by Western doctors and very poorly taught as well. And then I thought, wow, this is incredible stuff. You know, such a a beautiful theory of of, uh, what chi is and what the channels are. And and so I started um, sending, you know, trying to get this talked about on forums and stuff and trying to get the acupuncture community to talk about it and there was just absolutely no take up of this whatsoever and it got quite frustrating because it was like this is this is the kind of rosetta stone of acupuncture theory this explains it and so from there i i just took dr charles shang's theory and and just moved it on into a much more practical world in which you, you 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 basically started to explain all of chinese acupuncture theory and qi and channels in terms of uh, embryological theory so that's where it kind of came from credit where credit is due yeah well that's great and i'll put a link up to that if we can find one on the show notes page so people can look at that original material um yeah you said something that that to me was surprising that western medicine doesn't understand embryology very well i i was thinking they understood it fairly well i 
you know, certainly from a Chinese medicine, well, I'll say our Chinese medicine community, I think very few of us understand embryology or, or even think much about it. So I'm not surprised to hear that you didn't get much uptake on your ideas there. But I'm a little surprised to hear you say that Western science doesn't necessarily understand it either. You can talk to any doctor about embryology and you will almost certainly be met with an absolute blank stare back. They, the knowledge amongst doctors about embryology is paper thin. I'll give you an example. I was at a conference in Vancouver and there was a... Um, guy there a doctor who's presenting about uh acupuncture and just saying well chi doesn't exist and that kind of stuff and so i came went up to him afterwards and said you know if you ever considered about like embry the embryological organization of the body because he was talking about how the body's organized in terms of skeletal systems and cardiovascular systems and i said there's a level above that it's the embryological organization. I said, have you ever considered that? And he said, yeah, 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 of course. And I said, well, you know, do you understand how that works? And he, he said, oh, of course I understand how it works. And, you know, that doesn't explain anything. And I said, well, well tell, me, tell me what chemicals are involved in, you know, organization. Have you ever heard of morphogens? And he'd never heard of morphogens, you know, which are the central key of embryological growth control theory. And so when you actually start to look at Western medicine, um, you kind of start to realize that the emperor has no clothes. There is no overarching theory of wellness with Western medicine. No, there's not. Not at all. Very much a look at pathology, but nothing about what we would call the Zheng Qi, right? The stuff that's upright and working and well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's it. And and so the and the embryology to them is is just sometimes a curiosity. That's it. So for instance, there's a nerve that's called the recurrent laryngeal nerve that has this funny little course and it goes over the aorta and then goes back up to the larynx. And the reason for that is the way that the body folds. And so surgeons have a little bit of interest in it because it kind of directs them around the body a bit better but physicians certainly have i would say close to zero interest or zero knowledge and what i would say as an acupuncturist yeah we are effectively we are what we're doing is stem cell um medicine and embryological medicine and so i would encourage all acupuncturists obviously to read my book but just read up on embryology and and understand that and we and in a way you can leapfrog uh, Western physicians in terms of knowledge. Okay, so a couple things here that have caught my attention. It sounds to me like you're drawing a connection between embryological development and wellness. Yes. Let's hear more about that. So the central, there's a central massive hole in the Western model of embryological development, yeah. So we all start from a single cell, and that cell divides a lot of times until we have 100 trillion cells or 10 trillion cells, a lot of cells, and they're all perfectly organized. And that organization is critical to health because those cells have to know exactly where they are and exactly what they're supposed to be doing and exactly who they're next to, and produce all the right stuff. And that, that is an astronomical level of, literally an astronomical level of complexity, yeah? Yes. And Western medicine has no explanation for how that occurs. It describes the process, 
but it, it has no explanation for how it actually occurs. And into that big hole of explanation falls chi. That's where chi goes in. So this chi is basically just the innate intelligence of the uh, cellular body that allows it to become organized and stay organized. And the reason why embryological development is so key to health is because if that the embryological development is when chi is at its strongest, and if that isn't working properly, then the body won't form properly. And it won't, and you can have sometimes, sadly, you know, the baby can die in utero as a result of that. But even later on, you know, uh, like um, even after 50, 60 years, we know that a, a placental, a placenta that isn't um, working properly will impact upon high blood pressure and heart disease after 50, 60 years. So this embryological organization is absolutely key to health. And it's the chi that's, or, that's doing the organization. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And for want of a better word, there's no, there's no explanation for it. There's no, you can't, you get to a certain point where you cannot actually reduce it any further. Yeah. And you just have to say there's this holistic force. Are you familiar with some of the work that, um, some of the, some of the biodynamic cranial people are doing and the way that they also look at embryology? Like craniosacral yes. type stuff. Yeah. Only vaguely. I'm only vaguely familiar with it as well, but this this is something that I hear some of these osteopaths talking about, that there is this organizational force that happens in the embryological process. And, and they call it, all right, so you're going to love this. They call it the breath of life. All right. If you're going to yeah, take chi nice. and translate it into English, which is a terrible word to translate into English, but we often translate it as breath. Yeah, it's a good description, I think. Of uh, I mean, I would, I would, because um, you've got chi. Chi is such a conundrum in a way, isn't it? But you've got kind of a macroscopic chi and a microscope. So you've got chi. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you've got chi within the body. And you've also got the chi outside of the body as well. I think they're the same chi, aren't they? So chi, I kind of see as as a as a function of the universe. And I kind of put this out to Twitter, and and the you know how would you define chi? And someone came back and said chi is the energy that crystallizes matter into form. And what what that means is that all matter, for instance, magma, when it condenses and cools it will it won't just form a homogeneous mass it will crystallize into certain you know so you've got giants causeway in northern ireland with those amazing hexagrams and stuff and all it all matter has a way in which it will form it will congeal into form a certain form and it's the same with our bodies because that's exactly what's going on with our bodies we start off with this cell that's just packed with information and then it divides and divides and divides and and, and creates this form um, out of nothingness and the thing that guides that form is chi so i kind of that's how i see chi the other thing that you talked about earlier was the channels we uh, we often think of chi in the channels is is being too really difficult to describe and deal with aspects of chinese medicine 
that makes most Westerners a little bit crazy and, and easily allows us to poo-poo it because none of these things show up like in a cadaver, for instance. And what you had to say, and, and, I've, and I've heard Wang Jui say this, but I never put it together the way you did, that acupuncture happens within the spaces of things. And so if you're going to go and look for something, mm. you're not going to find it if what you find is a space. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's actually, I actually find it hilarious, um, although tragic at the same time, because it's put us all back about 30 years. But um, yeah, I mean, sur- <laughs> keyhole surgery, keyhole surgery, when, mm-hmm. when you do a laparoscopic operation in your abdomen, you are using the liver channel. If you put keyhole surgery laparoscopic into Google, there will be thousands of returns of people doing laparoscopic um, hysterectomies, etc. And what they are in is the liver channel. And, and then, likewise, you can visualize the lung channel um, by um, looking at operations on the thyroid gland, robotic ones. The, the pericardium, which is basically uh, the pleural cavity, um, and also the, the space between the pericardium and the heart itself, and so on and so on. And all of these channels meridians is a terrible word all of these channels are used by surgeons every day <laughs> like there's, at this moment there's probably literally you know a thousand surgeons out there busy um you know sometimes they even clean out the liver channel which is basically by breaking up adhesions within the liver channel which uh, adhesiolysis and that's exactly what, what does chinese medicine about say about these chronic abdominal pain liver cheese stagnation and exactly phlegm. yes and that's yeah. So they're basically using the spaces in between the f- the fascial planes, correct? Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's it. Which are there to enable the body to stay organized. And as I understand fascia, and I can't say I understand it that well. It's it, for me it's a bigger question in my mind than anything else. It's this. It's the intercellular matrix. I think that's the new word Western medicine uses, in extracellular matrix or something like that. But it's the stuff that connects everything else together. It's like the. It's like an internet for the body. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. That's a good description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A web. A yeah, web. It's like in, a web as well. Yeah, in, into which a three-dimensional web into which cells uh, kind of grow. You mentioned in your book that this particular tissue has bioelectric properties. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear more about that. So the interesting thing about bone, which is, contains you know, high amounts of this stuff called collagen, is that what makes it uh, really strong isn't actually so much the, the crystals of calcium and phosphate no calcium and well, it's hydroxyapatite crystals anyway those crystals that give it the white sheen they actually make it stiff and incompressible the thing that makes it strong is called collagen and collagen you can you can find um videos of people who have put bones into acid and dissolved away all these crystals and they've just got this collagen matrix and it still looks like a bone but it's kind of yellow and very flexible as well very flexible, but incredibly strong. You can't break these things. And um, the collagen is piezoelectric. Collagen, if you bend it, 
like any crystal, it will create um, electrical charge on uh, on one end of it compared to the other one. And what we know about bone formation is that this action of the collagen bending actually guide the bone, the, the hydroxyapatite crystal formation. So in other words, when the bone bends a bit, this bit of electricity is produced by piezoelectricity, and then the cells understand that where it's bending, it needs strengthening, it needs hardening, as they lay down this, this crystalline structure that gives it its white sheen. Very clever system. But it's the collagen that produces the piezoelectricity, and it's the same collagen found throughout fascia. So by the nature of collagen, therefore, the whole fascial network is also piezoelectric. And this is, this is incredible because this is kind of what the Chinese have been saying for thousands of years, isn't it? That there's this kind of qi. I mean, qi gets... If, if you were going to put qi into popular uh, culture, you'd probably use electricity, wouldn't you? The most obvious translation is energy, which I think is a... Re, personally, I think is a reasonable translation. I would just put the word organisational in front of that. Organisational energy. And... Um, and so, yeah, so fascia, um, and we don't know much about this. I mean, I started Googling this and looking on PubMed and stuff and trying to find articles about fascia and piezoelectricity and the microstructure of fascia. And I found about two in the end. And there was um, one of them said, yeah, we don't know much about it. <laughs> so it's kind of kind of a, a new dawn, I think, a new paradigm. We need to start looking into this and uh, work out what's going on. Let's go back to what we know about Chinese medicine and working with needles. I get this question. In fact, every acupuncturist gets this question all the time, and I'm sure you do too. What are these needles doing, right? How does it work, mm. right? You're sticking a needle. I mean, yeah. you, we're not just sticking a needle in a body. I mean, yes, objectively, there's a needle in the body. We're contacting this... Uh, extracellular matrix it's got these intelligent organizing abilities so what's actually going on when you hit an acupuncture point what's happening when uh when you put an acupuncture needle in is depends upon which level you're talking because you've you know you've got uh, different levels in which this interacts with so you've got the spirit level and the earth level or the bodily level but the way i imagine it or rationalize it into into play with it is that I kind of see it as a as a flow of I don't know it's a it's a very good question what is happening what is happening it, I think you start to you see for me all the book really does in essence is just lay the the foundations of Chinese medicine so it goes look the channels are really simple yeah this yeah. is what they are they're the spaces between the fascial planes. Exactly. And surgeons probably know this better than we do. Yeah, exactly. Surgeons, surgeons use this. I mean, if you, if you bump into a surgeon, a surgeon says to you, you know, what are the acupuncture channels? If they say meridians and say they're not meridians, they're channels. And you say, well, listen, you, you tell me what you do every time you uh, cut open the body. And, and that, what they'll do is they'll start describing finding channels in the body. And then you go, that's the acupuncture channels. So, the channels are, are really simple, and qi is is kind of 
in essence, really simple as well. And then the rest of Chinese medicine, the, what the organs do, um, gets pretty simple once you understand your medicine quite well. And that's kind of what the book is. After that, when you start to get into what are we doing when you put a needle into the body, that starts to, I start to just think, you know, the Chinese have just got it absolutely spot on. So when they, so you just have to start saying, yeah, actually there's this stuff called qi, which is basically semi-mystical and you are interacting with their qi and you're doing it in certain ways. So I see it instead of the flow of water, which they the Chinese describe. I, I think of it more in terms of the flow of electricity. So the sea points, the river points, the well points, I see it more as a, a potential gradient of electricity rather than water. Mm. So at the well points, this, this electricity is very high potential, but very low current. And at the sea points, it has very low potential, but very high current. And But apart from... I know this is this sounds like a, a fudge in a way, but I suppose what it is is it is. I'm saying that I, you know, I'm I'm going to spend the next twenty, thirty years kind of working it out as well. I, the mystery is a mystery to me too of what you're actually doing, but I see it more in terms of electricity yeah. and water. Well, there's something that it's come from the book, and even more for me coming from this conversation with you today. And I hadn't really thought about this previously, but there's something about the body's innate and amazing innate ability to organize itself, to to regulate itself, to heal itself, to take things that are out of balance and bring them back into balance. That there's there's this deep, deep embedded organizational principle going on. And let's face it. That is mysterious. I don't want to get into mysticism or anything like that. We could maybe just leave it with, there's some stuff we don't know. We can see the traces of its effect, but what it actually is, eh, that's, that's harder to describe. What you said there is, is exactly how I, that's how I feel about it as well. You're, you're trying to reestablish normal organization in the body. That's yes. exactly, that's a great description, yeah, to me. You're, that's so when you're when you're sticking a needle in somewhere where you know in a Hersey point, and you know you're just trying to get that chi to to kind of it you know it doesn't quite know which direction it should be going. You're trying to kind of move it in the right direction, you know. So yeah, you're trying to reestablish order. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You. I want to go back to the embryology for just a moment, and and then I want to get into some of the organ relationships because. Some of them make sense from a Western point of view, and some of them just seem Looney Tunes until until we take a look through the lens of embryology, and, and we'll get into that in a moment. But you, I want to go back to this thing that you mentioned. You use the term morphogens, that morphogens are somehow calling the tune on embryological development. What are they, and do they have some kind of a, a substrate in the developed human body a substrate well what do you mean by that well i mean are they uh, these these morphogen influences that cause the embryo to develop into a into a fetus and then eventually into a human being is this something that we can still access even though we're not embryos anymore yeah definitely definitely what 
this entire system of control, organization, effectively remains active for our entire life. Um, it just becomes less powerful, less important when we're fully mature because the body's no longer growing, it's already in place. So in the same way that if you're setting up an organization, you need to put a lot more energy into it whilst it's growing to get it all set up, the bodies are the same. It requires a lot more energy and organization. But um, that's the, the morphogens are um, a kind of a, a coarse form of chi. And um, you can, when I wrote the book, I, I kind of said that, you know, that chi is, I think, is, the, is basically a form of electricity or bioelectricity, electricity with intelligence. And since then, I've, there's a video that you can find online and you just Google frog electric face. And uh, it's a video of a frog forming and it's time lapse. And you can see all these electrical sparks moving around the embryo before the actual eyes form and before the, the face forms, you can see these electric sparks. And then the people who did this, they have, uh, there's another video showing them talking about this and talking about how there's this incredible bioelectric force that appears to be the, the controlling system for embryogenesis. And that if we could find a way to manipulate this force, we'd open up amazing healing uh, possibilities. And if you ever, I, I just found myself watching that and thinking, that's bloody chi. <laughs> that's acupuncture. <laughs> yeah. And you can, you can find this on Google. And, it, and, and so that's, um, morphogens are, are a coarse form of chi. But, you, I mean, I've, I've constantly kind of put this on Twitter and stuff. But if anyone, if you ever, if anyone ever wants to see chi, all you have to do is put frog electric face into Google. And the first video that come up is a video of this frog and all these electrical sparks moving around. It's a tadpole, in fact. And that is chi. That's what chi is. I mean, it's, it's, it's there. It's real. Yeah. Well. And it's much more powerful in the embryo. Hope you're enjoying the show. I'd love to know about what topics are of interest to you. If you have a health concern or if you want to know specifics about how acupuncture can help to promote vibrant well-being, visit the website at www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and send an email. Let me just make sure I'm following this. I've got this idea that's running through my mind right now based on what we've just talked about, that that force or energy, let's say intelligence, which can show up as electrical forms amongst other things, that, that stuff that formed us is also, after birth, the same stuff that heals us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. That's it. So it's like it's still there. It's just, it just gets a lot less intense but it's yeah. still flowing through the channels. Just It's just like instead of this boom, 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 it's like a mm, yeah. just a slow hum. And, and then, but then because of 
whatever, whatever, maybe, you know, bad lifestyle or crummy genetics or, you know, whatever, it can, it can become, or even trauma, it can become disrupted. That, you know, that hum of electricity, the bioelectricity chi that's moving through our bodies. And it, um, and that disruption starts to cause a disease. And so our role as an acupuncturist is just to reestablish a normal flow of this kind of chi. Right. The organizing intelligence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Organizing intelligence. Yeah. I love thinking of chi as organizing intelligence. That, I mean, I rarely talk about chi with my patients, partly because I live in St. Louis, Missouri, and, and that, that's just you know, acupuncture is already weird. Talking to people about chi is, you know, I just don't want to go there. It's not helpful. It's just not helpful in my clinical practice. But talking about an intelligent organizing energy, I think we could all get behind that. Well, it opens like all good kind of questions or science. It It starts to open up more questions when you start talking about organizational energy you know intelligence in the body it's like well well hang on yeah you know where does it flow and how does it you know you start to get a lot more questions and then the interesting thing about those questions like where does it flow and what does it do and how does it work and stuff is then it just starts segueing with what the chinese teach (laughs) about qi you know yeah at that point pick up a book on chinese medicine because it got mapped out thousands of years ago Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I want to shift this a little bit and talk about some of the organ systems. Because with Chinese medicine, we have this, uh, this way of looking at the physiology and this way of looking at the organs as them being these paired units, right? There's a yin organ, and there's a yang organ. And some of these are very clear to us from a Western medicine perspective, right? You've got the liver and the gallbladder. In Chinese medicine, those are paired organs. From a Western perspective, we completely see that relationship. You know, that's that's easy to grasp. Kidneys and bladder, same thing. Yeah, completely. Right? Totally easy. Oh, yeah, there they are, right? But then you've got these other pairings. So, for example, you've got the lungs and the large intestine, or you've got – here's one of my favorites – the heart and the small intestine, right? These are seen as, mm. as paired organ systems, heart being yin, small intestine being yang. And I remember when I was studying Chinese medicine, I'd come up against those kinds of things, and I'd just scratch my head and go, I'm just going to have to hang out and trust this. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. It makes absolutely no sense acupuncture seems to work some of these other things seem to hang together maybe if i hang with this stuff long enough it'll make sense right but to the initial you know like on the initial glance to a western mind it's like what the hell is that can you share with us a little bit about how the heart and the small intestine have anything to do with each other other than their organs in the same body yeah it's a good question because um, I, I felt the same way, actually. I thought, you know what? I, I bet they've just got it wrong. <laughs> I thought, yeah, they kind of got everything right. They're just some things they just got wrong. You know, it's natural. Um, and um, But then as I wrote the book and kept finding stuff, I was just like, shit, they just 
got everything right. You just got to understand the body at a, a certain different level. And um, the heart in the small intestine is 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 a good one actually. There's um there's actually a ligament in the body called the ligament. You can't see this ligament on any scans, MRI scans, CT scans. It's invisible because it's this very, very faint um, ligament that goes from the aorta, which is obviously, um, you know, pretty much just part of the heart as far as, you know, we're concerned. It's kind of Shao Yin channel. And it goes from the aorta and it goes, it loops around the small intestine. And what it does is it acts like a kind of collar and cuff. It acts almost like a sling. And it can contract. It's got muscular fibers in it. And it can kind of pull up the, um, the duodenum, which is part of the small intestine, and effectively slow the rate of food transfer down into the small intestine. So what this does is, is um, it's a connection between your heart and your small intestine that is the heart kind of telling, saying to the small intestine, okay, here's a bit more food to digest, or whoa, hang on a second, we're, we're going we're gonna to hold off on the digestion for a bit. Now, on a kind of emotional level, um, that may be that if you're, uh, if you're suddenly in a very kind of scary situation or something, you know, digestion actually is something that you, you want to hold off because it takes blood. And, and so it may be that the, uh, the, this ligament functions to uh, slow digestion when, for instance, your, your heart is going fast. But this is, you know, this is a crazy connection between the heart and small intestine. Um, that kind of backs up what the uh, Chinese have said. Yeah, so that so there's this actual physical substrate, this uh, very fine. I mean, it sounds like you can't see it on a scan, but if you actually go into the body, you would see it. This really fine. Yeah, that's right. If you dissect it out from the aorta, and it loops around the the fourth part of the duodenum, and it just it just basically it pulls it up, and the duodenum's like this. There's a loop anyway. And so if you pull it up, it effectively uh, the, the food can't quite get over the last bit of the loop. And, um, yeah, and it's, it's, yeah, it's this. It's, I mean, you, you know what? I talk about embryology and, and uh, our doctors know almost nothing about it. You know, apart, I, I doubt there's very many doctors out there who have heard of the ligament of trites. The reason I'd heard about it is because... Um, I had a friend uh, who was called Kit, who was this insanely clever orthopedic surgeon in training. And he once um, told me about how he uh, managed to uh, shove his small intestines in around his heart in a kiteboarding accident and almost killed himself. Um, and I think it was this I think it was this ligament that he was kind of talking about um, at the time. But yeah, ligament of trites. As far as the lung and large intestine goes. Yes, yes, lung and large intestine. I've no idea. <laughs> I've no idea. But but I'll tell you what, when I did spiritual medicine, uh, chest chest medicine, the number of people who came in with, um, you know, kind of chronic lung problems who also complained of their constipation was um, was very high. Yeah. I've seen that a lot in my clinical practice too. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how it works. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's fair enough. In Chinese medicine, we often think of the liver as being 
inextricably linked with women's menstrual cycle. And in fact, their whole fertility process is pretty much commanded and orchestrated by the liver. That, that's the Chinese medicine thought. From a Western medicine point of view, that, again, that just doesn't seem to bear out because we're thinking about hormones and we, we don't even see the uterus as being anywhere, you know, that well connected to the, uh, to the liver. So, again, putting on this, uh, this embryological lens that, that you've been looking at things through, how's the liver connected with women's health? So the liver, surprisingly, is very well connected to uh, the uterus, the fallopian tubes, and the ovaries. And it's very well connected through the peritoneal cavity. So even though the liver and the woman's organs are, look as though they're a long way from each other, in fact, they're effectively next door to each other because the peritoneal cavity is a uh, potential space that means that they're in side by side. I mean, when you, if you ever see someone do a laparoscopic um, operation in the peritoneum, which I recommend all, all your listeners have a look at, then you can actually see the liver at one end, and then they'll also be able to see the uterus and the fallopian tubes and the ovaries. And the ovaries actually re- release their egg into this peritoneal cavity and then the fallopian tubes they have kind of fingers uh, that catch this egg and and drag it down into the tube and and then it can become fertilized in the uterus and the liver is kind of controls this cavity this cavity i see it as the zhui yin channel of uh, chinese medicine it it controls it through a number of ways firstly um, it makes sure that the blood the portal venous system which is the blood from all the digestive organs flows smoothly so this is the liver function of ensuring smooth flow of qi and blood and um, if it doesn't flow smoothly if it starts to become congested then what that means is you get venous congestion in your digestive organs and that can cause things like indigestion as this gets more severe you get something called portal venous hypertension and that will cause ascites and then the Yin channel uh, the peritoneal cavity will fill up with fluid and um, that's obviously quite a late stage but that's that's the Chinese I was reading the Neijing Xu Wen the other day and the Chinese were just describing this exact thing actually about how if the liver if you get B syndrome in the liver then it, you end up with a, a abdomen that's swollen so that's what they're talking about so that's one level basically the 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 uh, woman's organs are effectively in uh, very well connected to the liver channel and then also the liver controls clotting factors and also it cleans the blood of histamine progesterone and estrogen which are all hormones that will affect um, the balance of yin and yang within the uh, reproductive organs well that just makes a lot more sense now yeah good yeah yeah (laughs) It, it is it is a bit complex actually when i was writing the liver channel chapter i did find myself getting everything starting to get a bit heavy um as you'd expect from from the liver really i suppose (laughs) that's that's just the nature of the liver exactly yeah (laughs) 
I'm not a very livery person. And um, yeah, it is it is a bit kind of heavy and complex. But um, yeah, please, um, you know, do look up peritoneum and and uh, have a look. And it's it's a great you can have a look inside, you know, the liver channel very easily. Yeah. Well, just thinking of the peritoneum as as let's just call it drain tissue and that i mean i didn't realize that there was so much going on there but now that we're having this conversation and we haven't heard much about this lately but um there was a big deal here in the states some years ago some issues with women using tampons they'd end up with uh, toxic shock syndrome and basically Mm. have these horrible inflammations of this exact cavity so um, yeah, I, I guess now that I think about it, well, yeah, look, there is a, a you know, definite direct connection. And, you know, the liver's right there mm. along with the, all of that. So, well, it's actually something called, I didn't learn much at medical school, but I, I, uh, I learned there's something called Fitzhugh-Curtis syndrome, um, which is, which is um, when you get chlamydial gonorrhea and it goes backwards up the tubes and then you it actually goes to the liver and it actually causes adhesions on the liver and um no in western medicine there's no kind of explanation about apart from obviously the liver being in the peritoneum as well about why it goes specifically to the liver but you know obviously from a chinese point of view that's very telling yes you know because the two the two you know chinese will say well the two organs are effectively you know very connected yeah Great. Okay. Just a couple more questions here. I, wow, I, I could go on for hours with this. Maybe we'll do a part two sometime. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Back to embryology, which has really, oh man, I'm going to probably waste way too much time on YouTube here in the next couple of weeks and, uh, you know, trying to learn about this stuff. You talk about these cells called neural crest cells, that they, they come out of a certain place but the thing that's interesting about them is they migrate to other places and then they take over and organize they act as these like command and control centers in these other places so give us the you know sort of neural crest cell 101 lesson here (laughs) and and then is there again is there some substrate is there some way in the you know formed uh, human body that we still see these or can access these or, or are they still functioning in some way? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Neural crest cells are just uh, awesome, awesome uh, things. Basically medical school, there was like an entire kind of nightmare situation about neural crest cells because you would, you had to remember what they formed in the body and they just form the most diverse things you know from the connective tissue of the heart they form the effectively all the support cells in your brain then they form your adrenal medulla and so on and so on all these really critical things they form the, the your teeth the only the outside of the teeth they form the pigment cells of the hair and they form the uh, bones of the inner ear now if you're if you're a student of Chinese medicine, you're probably starting to make a connection here because these are all Jing 
Jing things. Mm -hmm. So these are all the things that we look for in terms of, um, you know, has this person got good Jing? Have they burnt up all their Jing? Um, you know, have they gone grey? Have their teeth falling out? You know, they're getting arrhythmias in their heart or um, are their kidneys completely burnt? because they've uh, used up all their adrenal energy. So the neural crest cells um, are basically the, the highest level of organizational intelligence within the embryo. Uh, the difference between like um, non-vertebrates and vertebrates is neural crest cells. They allowed like life to become extremely complex and extremely intelligent. And um, what they do is they start off at the this the thin line in your back when the when something called the neural tube is folding off, and they just surf off. They they go <laughs> they go surfing off into the body, and somehow they know where they're supposed to be going. Yeah, because all of the other cells are just kind of doing a kind of growing slowly next to their neighbors thing. But these cells just go flying off into, you know, the equivalent of, you know, me sending somebody off to China and, and, and then finding their way to the Imperial Palace of China and then basically telling everyone in the Imperial Palace what to do and how to organize and doing it. That's kind of the level of intelligence that's going on. And what we do, I think, in terms of uh, acupuncture, we all know that Jing is a very difficult thing to kind of nourish and to uh, kind of uh, interact with. But I yeah. think it's very primordial stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, and I think it's actually the the back shoe points and the the do channel is is kind of where because that's where these cells kind of start from embryological level and i think those points wang Yi says that the back shoe points are uh are used for physical problems in the organ which would be kind of like i see it as what you're doing is you're you're kind of creating an extra burst of neural crest cells into the the organ to allow it to kind of reorganize itself so am i correct then in hearing that in the embryological phase, this mm -hmm. um, this neural tube, which is, would we be able to say this is what we we would say turns into the do channel? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so the do channel is also called the governing channel. Yes. And so we've got these specialized cells that come out of the do. They migrate, surf their way to all kinds of places, and then. Literally, they're governing the development. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. That's it. Well, that, that would explain, it would, it would explain why the back shoe points do have the kinds of influence that they have. Yeah, and there's also the, the, the back shoe points. The interesting thing about the bladder channel as well is that when, we are, when we're about 25 days old, there is actually a bladder channel or a bladder that goes in the exact same way that the the bladder channel of Chinese medicine does. It goes down your back into the bladder and it drains each individual kind of segment or organ in turn in the exact same way that the bladder, bladder channel works. So, I mean, that's incredible. That's how the embryology explains like what we're doing in, in Chinese medicine, the theory, because when you start to go back into the embryology, you see all these connections that have disappeared because they're no longer so important. But 
at a connection level, they're still there. It's just the connection isn't so important anymore because it's already formed. Well, I'm coming back to this thing that that we talked about earlier, that there's a process that forms us. And after we're formed, that's the process that keeps us healthy and heals us. Yeah, exactly. So these things are still in place. They're, they're working... They're working differently. You know, it also occurs to me that in embryological development, we're dealing with a whole different kind of world. We're dealing with a world that doesn't have gravity. We're dealing with a basically fluid world, right? There's not a whole lot that is, I mean, there's some formation happening with the cells dividing, but that's a very different life form than something that doesn't live in fluid and is much more dense, like like we are after we're born. And so it seems to me that you probably, when something is less dense, you either don't need as much energy to make a change, or that amount of energy will make a much bigger change, because you have much less density and crystallization to deal with. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're right. And, and also, like you say, it's it's less dense, isn't it? So the energy is going to find it a lot easier to, to flow around. Yeah, it's a different... I mean, people often say that, you know, we're effectively um, two life forms, like a, a caterpillar and a, a butterfly, you know, and we have a, a life, uh, you know, where we're in water and then a life out of water. Whether or not you can, at some level, remember that life, I don't know. <laughs> and embryologic, in terms of the, the body, the body definitely remembers it, Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, you've, I feel like with the work that you've done with this book, you've opened up such a, uh, a fertile path to follow and have connected some of the best of the Western stuff with some of the best of the Eastern stuff. And I suspect raised a lot more questions than you've given answers, which is always a good thing. Yeah, that's the hope. I mean, it, to me, it's just the foundations of, of you know the earlier on your question about what are you doing when you put a needle in there is such a good question and and one that you know hasn't been asked enough but there's all kinds of uh you know um, experiments if you like that that should be being done i mean you know what are what what's that doing to you know the bioelectricity in the area what's it doing to the fascia what's it doing to morphogen levels um etc etc and it's it's you know, alarmingly poorly researched, mainly because the money is going somewhere else. Well, yes. I mean, yeah, there is the issue of uh, money going to where it thinks it's going to make more money. Also, and and I just recently uh, interviewed uh, one of my classmates, actually, who just got herself a PhD in, in research methodologies. She's a total research geek. And we were talking on that show about these nonlinear and complex adaptive systems way of looking at the changes that you get with acupuncture. Um, this is, you know, this is not simple stuff. It's not like, oh, we're going to put a needle in this point and let's see if it changes electricity. They're, I, I mean, they're jumping into all kinds mm. of complexity. And, yeah, you know, since you're talking about research and, and looking at some of the things that that we just talked about, I'm wondering if these more complex models might be the tools that help us to understand it better. I suspect they are. Yeah, I mean, I, I always 
you know, in Star Trek, I think Star Trek Four, the um, search the one where they go back in time to the late twentieth century, obviously, and um, you know they they've got all their fancy scanners and stuff, which effectively is medicine, energy medicine, isn't it? What they use in Star Trek? Uh, yes. Yeah, it's all like they just beam and and they look at like you know our medicine. They just go, "Oh, you barbarians!" And I I genuinely think that you know you know as long as we don't blow ourselves up or something, that in thirty years time we're it's going to be energy medicine. It's going to be you know um, it's going to be vibrational energy, you know, and and it is going to be more about. But there's still these questions that need to be asked a kind of reductionist level as well as a as well as a holistic level and yeah i mean the first thing to do is to start asking them really and uh but it's very interesting i mean she she must have some great ideas actually about um avenues to go down well i may just have to connect you two guys up yeah yeah, yeah. that would be great Thanks. yeah 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 that that would be fun just put some more you know organizing intelligence together and see what we come up with yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the thing that needs to be done now is kind of, um, in a way, better studies, you know, better. Because the, the old the studies that have been, a lot of the studies that have been done that just say, does acupuncture work for back pain? I mean, they're kind of fine in a way. I mean, I don't have a problem with them per se. But they're, they're kind of, if they show it works and if they show it doesn't work, does it change anything? Well, the Western medical establishment is basically just just now ignores all those studies, doesn't it? It just says, oh, well, anyone can, if you do enough studies, you'll find some that work. So to me, the studies that there's two levels at which studies need to be done. The, the, as practitioners, I think we should be doing studies that look at what techniques or what styles uh, give the best results. So almost like a kind of X factor. Do you have x factor in the states mm, i'm not sure if we do or not or america's got talent almost like an america's got talent for acupuncturists where you <laughs> you, you you look at like um acupuncturists <laughs> who've got talent and you kind of play them off against each other and work out which which if, if what what i'm saying effectively is is the old style of how chinese medicine was taught wasn't it, it was taught master apprentice yes but but taking that into a digital age, taking that into a mass information age, where you so you you look at these masters and go, what are they actually doing that makes them so effective? And and that as an acupuncture community, I think that's the where we should be putting our energy and in, into our studies is is you know kind of if you could make a TV program out, out of it, all the better. And oh then goodness. and then there's also yeah, <laughs> that would be a, an interesting TV program, I think. <laughs> And then there's also the kind of pure research that needs to be done as well, like your, you know, your friend and, uh, and you know, what is qi, what is bioelectricity, all, all those things. But the old style research that we've been doing a lot of in the last 20 years of does acupuncture work for back pain, for this, for that, is interesting, but as it isn't going to, I don't think it's going to take us any further. Yeah. You know, I, I think basically what we need is better questions. Better questions, more interesting questions. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe even more troublesome questions. Those, those often bring all kinds of information that we never expected you know, and potentially helpful. Yeah, because the, what, what the uh, Western-orientated research, the question they 
been asking a lot of is, does it matter where you put the needles? In other words, sham acupuncture, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting question to ask, isn't it? I mean, I think as acupuncturists, we shouldn't be scared of that question. We should actually embrace it and say, okay, yeah. Because then the next logical thing is from there is if it does, and it seems to have a small effect. It, it does seem to I have would, an effect, yes. Yeah. And then it's like, well, why does who does it matter who does the acupuncture? So does, is that guy there who says he wants to put needles in these particular places, does he get a better result than that guy there? And and to me, that's the next question. It's like just playing acupuncturist off against acupuncturist and seeing, you know, because effectively when you put, you're doing a meta-analysis, when you put lots of acupuncturists into one research study and you, what you're seeing is a is a result from 30 different studies, yeah, in in one if you have 30 different practitioners. You know, we might actually have a new reality TV show here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Acupuncturists have got talent. <laughs> I think it'd be a great TV program. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, you well, have, you know. we'll have to find someone who's, uh, who's, who's in the TV world here. Well, hey, Dan, I... Holy smokes, we're already up to over an hour. These interviews don't usually go that long. This, is, this has been great. I just want to plug your book for a second. Because I think it's a really useful and in some ways very pivotal and, and very creative piece of work that would be helpful for the layperson. I mean, if you're just thinking about trying to understand something about what your acupuncturist might be doing or what Chinese medicine is about, this is a great book if you're a patient or a layperson. And if you're a practitioner, it's just mind-blowingly delicious. So I urge you to go out and buy it. Yeah, I, it is written for the layperson. Well, it, I understand it's written for the layperson. It's, it's also phenomenal for the practitioner. Yeah, so thanks. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I kind of, like I said, uh, you know, I, I wrote it uh, for the layperson, but I also wrote it in such a way, I hope that, you know, people will start going up to their Western physicians and, and, and say, oh, you know, um, you know, uh, no, 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 acupuncture works like this way and, and starting to talk to them about embryology and stuff. And, and actually, like I said, most physicians don't know any embryology. And as soon as they start hearing this layperson going, no, 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 it's all about morphogens and, you know, stuff that, you know, I want them to be embarrassed into uh, having to read it. (laughs) (laughs) Great strategy. That was was the plan. Yeah. Hey, Dan, have you uh, got a website people can go to to find out more about the book? Yeah, there's, um, well, I've got a a, a blog that I run at www.getwell.space, which uh, delves more into kind of other theories and, and such like. But um, yeah, I mean, there's no website for the book per se. I mean, just buy the book really and read it and share it with your friends. Great. Dan, again, thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. And um, yeah, it's a real pleasure to come on. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, Please take a moment, click on the iTunes review button, and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week. 